I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the podcast today. We're going to be doing the final word on Saturday's defeat at the bridge, looking at Fulham's women team in focus and also previewing Monday night's game against Burnley. And we've said it all season that games are must win. Well, I mean... It's probably too late, but there actually, actually is no substitute for not winning on Monday. There is no way back with Fulham nine points adrift of safety, but potentially have Fulham got a route back into it. Scott Parker certainly thinks so. None of us do, but we'll discuss that in the podcast, no doubt. It's the regular Thursday club today. Uh, so I've got Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. How are we doing, mate? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm not too bad. Um... You know, it's just one of those, like, once you've consigned yourself to it, it just is okay, isn't it? It's the, it's the hope that kills you in the in the saddest possible way and to use every cliche going. But, you know, once it's done, it's done. And we look forward now and hope that hope that things get better. I think that's that's it, isn't it? You've got to try and, try and find the positives. Indeed. And hopefully uh, an hour's therapeutic chat about it should help. Um, they always say, talk about your problems. So, uh, Peter Rutzler, hello to you. Hello. Well, we're going to talk about problems. You know, that's back-to-back relegations for me now on the cards. And, you know, it's, I'm going to just take the heat for it, I think. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's all me. Um, oh, so I'd just like to formally apologise to, to all Fulham fans. <laughs> Get that out there now um, before and uh, address the elephant in the room. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move on from there, Sam. I mean... You are a little bit the uh, the death knell uh, if you're uh, if you're appointed as the uh, athletic correspondent. I don't think it's you, Peter. I think it's more to do with the teams that you've been put on. But you know, people might want to lay the blame at your door, and I guess that's their prerogative, isn't well, it? Well, Bournemouth had five years of Premier League stability, and a manager had been there for a decade, uh, taking the club from the bottom, and then I rock up and they go down. Uh, <laughs> but a bit different, a bit different with Fulham, but um, <laughs> things haven't changed so. Oh, Peter, it's okay. We'll be here for you today. The, uh, the, th- <laughs> the Thursday support club is here. Well, let's start with discussing um, that game on Saturday. And Jack, I guess, given the context of what's been achieved by our neighbours down the road in the last 24 hours, um, a 2-0 defeat at the bridge where we were valiant isn't really the worst result in the world. But we've said that all season, that lots of results aren't the worst result in the world. Point at Arsenal isn't the worst result in the world, but in the context of Fulham's season and exactly what we need, it, it was obviously still disappointing. But if you look at the bigger picture, well, actually, no, if you look at the smaller picture, it shouldn't be considering what we were up against. Yeah, I mean, I said it in an interview beforehand that it, it was one of those weird things where... <laughs> 
it felt like sink or swim, but it probably shouldn't have. Um, but Fulham's season has been all about sparks, hasn't it? It's been all about these kind of signs of life at random times. And after, in January, back when we drew with Brighton and dropped points at West Brom, and we were like, well, that's that then. And then suddenly you go to Merseyside and win at Everton and win at Liverpool and everybody's back up. And it has been those moments of kind of magic that have reignited life into this campaign time and time again. And I guess I was hopeful that that perhaps this could be one of those, that perhaps we'd catch Chelsea between Champions League semi-finals, that they'd be maybe a little bit off the hop, that they'd be focusing elsewhere. And and it didn't turn out to be the case. And and look, like I say, it wasn't a desperate performance. I, I thought we were pretty toothless, quite insipid in the second half, if I'm honest. But, you know, on, on the whole, I thought we were brave. We battled well. Our press was absolutely phenomenal to begin with. Um, and there's a big save from Edouard Mendy, right, just, just before halftime that... It's kind of the point where you, you think that goes in, maybe Fulham can kick on, maybe they, they get that kind of momentum to drive on in the second half. And as soon as that didn't go in, uh, I think that might have just been that. And I think that might have been the point where you looked at the season and went, that was the last chance saloon. And, and unfortunately, it's been kept out. And and yeah, like you say, with, with what they've achieved this week, um, it's a bitter uh, pill to swallow still because it's, because it's that lot from up the road. And now they're going to be playing a, Champions League final on the same day that the playoff final is and there is a potential that it could be the worst day of all time for Fulham <laughs> fans um, but I'm going to try not to think about it too much um, I've always been a cricket man if I'm honest um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so yeah it's just one of those isn't it you just you know you, you kind of look at it and go yeah not a not a terrible result when you take the context out of it but in in the grander scheme of things we needed something some sign of life to try and you know, miraculously resurrect us, you know, do a Lazarus. Um, and, and unfortunately it didn't come. Are you a tennis fan, Jack? No, no. Can't well, I was going to say the French Open starts that day. So you could get into it this year. A bit of clay court tennis, maybe, uh, if you wanted something to get sink your teeth into. Um, so that day where they'll be in the final and yeah, maybe Brent, um, Brentford also in the playoff final. I'm on a stag do. Well, at least you stag- have to watch it. No, we do, because it involves watching... Uh, um, the, the Stag is a Chelsea fan, and there is a Brentford fan attending the Stag, a massive Brentford fan. And I honestly am trying to think of ways to get out of it, even though I'm the best man. I'm thinking of ways to try and get out the whole day. It's it's going to be horrific. I, I mean, Peter, uh, it was a lot of copy and paste from Fulham's season. You know, Brighton spells, good start conceded a couple of softish goals it really I'm, I'm staggered how you're able to find different words to describe this Fulham team week in week out because I've seen it so many times it's a good thing Scott Parker likes to talk I think that does help um yes. yeah no it's yeah you're right I mean it was similar to what we've seen throughout the season and, and Jack's right about you know signs of life and those sparks it just it just seems like those sparks come and come in the wrong games you know those sparks come in against Villa or Leeds or Wolves and we're in a, it's a different picture and same goes back to those games in January and we're going over familiar ground again and it, it was a good performance I think all considered you know I think you know it had reached a point where, where a majority were thinking this isn't going to happen at all um, but Fulham came out very very positive you know they, as Jack said they pr- pressed really really high and pressed really really well uh, and you just get the impression that Thomas Tuchel expected that and the two goals came from skipping the press entirely with two direct passes that, you know, maybe I think the first one you could say Anguissa can track Mount, but his movement's excellent. He take, goes from midfield to defence. It creates a massive gap. And the first touch, you know, it's 
that's that's the Sublime, quality of their team. It? Yeah. Um, so it, it's difficult to be critical of the performance and of the team. And I think even in the second half, it, I mean, it was you know it was a killer, wasn't it? To score straight after half time, any sort of momentum or energy they, they they wanted to take in from the break just sort of dissipated at that point. But um, the fact that they kept going, um, you know, it, it didn't roll over. I mean, it could it's easily conceivable you could just throw in the tile there, but we don't really see that from Fulham. Um, you know, I think again, it's that that toothlessness in attack. Uh, I think there was a focus again on Mitrovic. I think it was, I think it's one of the first times really that sort of commentators and pundits sort of really sort of quite why isn't Mitrovic playing? And I know we talked about it a lot, but um, there was one line that Parker said when I asked him afterwards, quite specifically, said, Look, "What? Why has this not happened this year?" And it, he said, um, "I have to make decisions that I feel are best for the team and the dynamic of the team against certain opposition." And I think that's sort of that's pretty revealing. You know, I think we talked about playing style. Um, you know, there's always the talk of confidence too, but I just think there's a sense he can't play against teams like like Chelsea and those those bigger sides. Or, but again, you, you you know that's that's what that's fine when you're setting up, but when you're chasing a game and you need to get something, you, you do wonder why he's not come off the bench there. And maybe that's developed into something a little bit more than than just a, a stylistic thing. Um, it was interesting actually listening to the Zonal Marking podcast, which is another podcast on on the athletic with um, with Michael Cox and he talks about Mitrovic potentially being a player for for the top six sides as a as a plan b um a sort of a Olivier Giroud light sort of approach which I can actually see sort of merit you know in terms of you know in the championship he scores goals when the team's built around him and is is, is much more front foot and able to play in that way um but maybe not so good with a struggling team and you know something that Rafa Benitez sort of identified with Newcastle when when he was there. So maybe we've seen a similar thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the positives obviously was Fabio Carvalho as well. It was great to see him come on. I think there's been a lot of calls for him because he's been training with the first team for so long. Uh, I thought he came on and did well. I think it was it was difficult. I think the game sort of passed him by a little bit, but he had those one moments, which he seems to do for the 23s as well, where he's in the right area at the right time. And I think his touch was a little heavy and it just took him away. And that would have been a really nice moment too. But um, that's a positive and hopefully something Fulham can, can build on. It was a nice moment, Jack. But if you were Mitrovic sitting on the bench and you're thinking, I can't even get a game and this lad's making his debut, a 17-year-old, bright future. I'm not sure Mitrovic doesn't hold anything against Fabio Carvalho. But if you were Mitrovic in that moment, you must be thinking... Yeah, yeah, you, you're, you're thinking either either it's time up or it's all change at the top, right? That, that, that I think that's where we're at. And and look, you can you can even sell it the other way, and you can say, look, Mitrovic could be the key keystone again next year under under Parker and in the championship. But even if he is, is that going to be a sell? Because what's he what's he on his way back for? What, what what's he bringing Fulham back to the top for if he's going to be dropped again because Fulham need to play a higher press in in Parker's opinion to try and compete at the Premier League? And look, I'm I'm not disagreeing with any of it. It's one of those things where it might it might, as Peter says, be someone who can only play in teams that are on the front foot. And look, there was talk a couple of years back or about a year ago that that PSG were interested in signing Alexander Mitrovic. And at the time, everyone was a bit like, what? But it, it, it does kind of make sense. You know, they've, they've lacked that, that physical option. They've lacked someone to, to, you know, be that middle piece. And, and I think you go and see how well Moise Keane did over there and, and, and you look at the, the impact he's made. And it wouldn't surprise me to see a, a side in Europe, a, a kind of side challenging for European places, make an offer to take Alexander Mitrovic. And the question would have to be, 
whether he felt that he would be able to start in that team or if he'd be happy being a bench option for someone who's a bit higher up and playing you know, at a higher level. And, and that's, I suppose, where the difference is. And that's where the, the question marks lie over his future for me. There's definitely a big juncture this summer. And I think Mitrovic plays into that. You know, there is the Parker element, there's Mitrovic element, there's recruitment, there's everything. Um, and I, it's interesting because you could easily make the case that, well, Mitrovic, maybe could, he could be effective in sort of a Burnley team. What, why is it that, you know, he can't, we can't have a team that's, you know, can, can, can play in that sort of way of built around him and, and be successful. And I think, I think fundamentally Parker made the call earlier in the season. It's just like, I, I don't want to go along that route. And you can, you can criticize it either way because clearly it hasn't worked. You know, Fulham are, you know, for all intensive purposes are going down this season. And when you have a goal scorer and the big, the big problem is lack of goals. And you look at that and you think, well, that doesn't necessarily add up. Um, but then at the same time, you've seen the positives in, in certain performances and would Mitrovic starting against Chelsea have made it seen that kind of performance up? I wouldn't necessarily say so, but everyone's got their, their own opinion on that. But in terms of him himself, I think the way this season has gone, I would be very surprised if he's there next year. I mean, it obviously it depends on sort of the the the, the, the summer and um, the implications of what that means for other clubs, and and then also what happens at, at Fulham, and you know things can turn around. Of course they can, but you know I don't get the sort of impression that he'll be there. No, I think that's the main thing, isn't it? Yes, he'll go to the championship. He'll be a hero. He could score 25 goals as Fulham get promoted again. And I'm, I'm, we're going to go into next season favourites, right? Uh, to, to, to win promotion, probably above West Brom and Sheffield United. But as Jack says, what what's, what's the motivation? Great, I've got to the Premier League again and Scott Parker's just going to continually not play me again because unless Parker's had a complete change of heart of how he wants to play football in the Premier League, Mitrovic doesn't suit his styles. I don't think anyone could massively begrudge uh, Mitro if he did fancy um, a bit of a change. I I still think um, it's potentially a bit of a mistake. Yeah, well, I think this is it. But you can you can take this further than Alexander Mitrovic, right? This has been something that's happened at Fulham for for a little while. And and look, I think the Mitrovic case is specific to Scott Parker. If I'm being perfectly honest, I think this is this is a coaching decision. But there are other decisions that they've have been made. The likes of Steph Johansson, who looks like he might return now next season after being absolutely phenomenal for QPR in the Championship again. You know, the the likes of the of the people who've sat on the bench this season to be replaced by players who won't be here next year. Where's the motivation? And, and this is the problem I have. Like last year, last time out, they, there was kind of a reset mold, wasn't there? There was a faith that the Parker was the man to really kind of reset things, to reunite the players, to to, to get it out of that mindset and, and try and kick on. But we've actually seen the same thing happen again. And, and, and this is where I'm at with it. You know, what's the motivation for, for Joe Bryant? What's the motivation for Steph Johansson if he comes back from loan? What's the motivation for Niskins Cabano? You know, where where does this die? Abubakar Kamara. You know, if all these players come back off, off loan spells and Fulham are going to have to deal with this because there's a lot of players on the books who are kind of come back. Marcus Bettinelli. You know, Myrick Rodak. Rodak. Like, you know, we have so many players who... who, who were stars of that championship campaign who have now sat on the bench for a year and are going to be asked to be dropped back in it. And I, I do think there's an element to this that you go, that's going to be difficult to sell, you know, to those players. And, and I don't know how you do that. And, and look, that's, there's, a, there's criticisms all over here. There's criticisms of, of recruitment in terms of do you buy players in the championship who you think you're getting up or do you buy players in the championship who you think are good enough for Premier League level? And understandably, there's always going to be a little bit of leeway there, right? There's always going to be a bit of, oh, okay, maybe they can make the step up, maybe they can't. You don't know that until a player is tested in the Premier League. But 
there's also questions of, uh, of how you go forward with that. Last time there was the change of management, which was supposed to motivate the players. And I don't know if without a change of management, and that's not me calling for Parker to be sacked before I get done on every platform ever, because I think Scott Parker, there, there are reasons to keep and reasons to, to, to say we, we might move on. But I do think there's an important point to be made that is without the players buying into something new, what's to convince them that next time round they'll be ready for the Premier League when this time round they weren't? I guess that's that's Peter. That's the problem with Fulham's approach at the, at the top level. Is okay. Tony might have done well this summer with getting some players in a, in a really short space of time. Maybe too late, but at the end of the day, I don't think anyone can criticise signings like Yoko Anderson, Alphonse Ariola, and Tosin Adrabio. What you can criticise is the overall strategy here. What was the strategy from day one? Right, the strategy was at, when Parker went back down to the Championship, we need to get back to the Premier League. Did anyone think beyond the Premier League? Did anyone think that these players in the team were good enough to go again in the Premier League when we got there? That seems to be the failing here, that we didn't plan for the Premier League when we were first in the Championship, and you almost have to do that. It's, it's the long-term thing, isn't it? It all plays into lo- the long-term sort of planning, and that, I guess that comes into it when you're going up and down. I think Scott Parker even himself uh, spoke about that, and you, you need to have that sort of stability. You need to have that consistency, and that, that goes from the top in terms of recruitment planning down to, to coaching. And as Jack says, you know, that, that this is an important juncture then for, for coaching and, and the management because you want stability. But then if you change the manager, you're not uprooting that stability on the coaching side. But then how do you how do you motivate players that are coming back in for the same thing? You know, I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting juncture for Fulham and they really do need to sort of work out what what is the long term aim here? Because again, it's interesting because the recruitment in the summer, if Fulham had managed to get those points in those games, you know, you look at all the stats, metrics and whatever, and, and it's quite clear that they've played well enough to stay up. They just haven't scored enough goals. I mean, fundamentally, in all other areas. Um, but then if they do stay up and then you keep that core that have come in, including the ones with options to buy, and then suddenly it's the other way around. and say, actually, they've built a squad which can grow. And then you, you sort of shed the championship skin and to use a really crude sort of analogy. But then you go down. You can't. I just don't see how it works. And I think what we're getting at here is there, there clearly hasn't necessarily been that sort of foresight or whether they've decided that the players who, who aren't involved are going to be happy to come straight back into the fold because that's going to be a really difficult challenge. I think inevitably that will be really, really tough. Um, you know, to, to, to and I don't think that was necessarily at the forefront. Maybe, and that's that's where the criticism is. It's the only thing here though, right? No one planned for a pandemic. So maybe there was a strategy, right? Well, these players, Cavalero, Knockart, um, are going to get us to the Premier League and then we're going to get in real Premier League quality players. But then why have, an obligation, why have an obligation to buy on them? What, on Knockart and Cavalero? Yeah, if, if you think those players are coming in for a season to do your job and get you into the Premier League, don't have an obligation, have an option. Yeah. Like yes, have, it, that that's a yep. that's a bizarre strategy if you think you're gonna shed those players. Either you have an obligation because you think those players are Premier League quality, or you have an option because you think, okay, maybe we could use this as a as a springboard to get to the Premier League and then reinvest. But having an obligation on players that you don't think are play at Premier League quality is a very, yeah, very different, you know, and I think that's I think that's poor recruitment, if I'm honest. Hmm. Well, that was the only thing I was thinking is that maybe if you'd had a normal summer 
and Fulham had signed the players we'd done. And let's say we had more time, you could have got them bedded in before the season. Fulham don't have the eight game obliteration that we had at the start of the season. Maybe we don't find ourselves nine points adrift. That's, but we all knew that there was a lot of time in the pandemic also to kind of realize that that had happened. And a lot of other clubs were also faced with the same problem. I, I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate. No, I, do, I still, I do think, I still think it's crap. I do think there's mitigating circumstances in the fact that the time period between promotion and the first game was smaller than it has ever been by such a distance this year, right? There was, there was no preseason. It was literally roll one into the other. It, you know, there, there is an element of that. that I think is it, what, but that's not got anything to do with Anthony knockout. As far as I'm concerned, that's, no. that's a completely separate issue. I think that the, the players that have been brought in on, on loan, mostly have done have done well if, if I'm honest you know the most the last summer's recruitment late as it was has been mostly all right what I have a problem with is the fact that we didn't sign a striker in the summer because we didn't have the money as we saw with that conversation about Ivan Tony on Twitter right yeah because we had to spend tw- nine million on Anthony Knockhart who we put an obligation on mm. for the sake of getting to the Premier League only to loan him out to Nottingham Forest now that doesn't add up and that, that's, again, that's long-term, isn't it? It's trying to think, what is the long-term aim here? And I think when, when Scott Parker signed his contract, there was a lot of talk about you know stability, and that's got to apply across the board, really. And I think having that sort of alignment is, is what's missing for Fulham. And, and then we can go into what they want to be in terms of philosophy and, and, and that sort of thing too. And then, then you can actually see a bit more of a progression. But I think when you're doing the same things and doing the same mistakes, it's an issue. And that's why this summer is important, because if there are the repeated patterns, then we're going to see the same outcomes. I mean, yeah, when you put it like that, though, that effectively buying Anthony Knockhart meant we couldn't buy Ivan Tony, and Ivan Tony's goals you feel like would have been a massive difference this year. Who knows if he's going to make it at Premier League level? He's going to get there probably next year, either sadly with that lot down the road or through a move, isn't he? One way or the other, and, and it, it could have made the difference. Um, you mentioned that Zonal Marking podcast, by the way, Peter. It is a really good listen. Um uh, yeah, with, with 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 Michael Cox, Ali Maxwell and Tom Warville looking at the kind of three relegated sides, whether they kind of deserve to be there, what's the future for them. Um, it's free to listen to without adverts on the Athletic app uh, and you can get the Athletic for just three ninety nine a month by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Um, one last question in this section. Um, I'll start with you, Peter. Uh, Parker said he's living in cuckoo land because he <laughs> believes that Fulham can stay up, can win the four games. Um, despite the fact that Fulham have never won four Premier League games in a row, despite the fact that four wins still might not keep you up. Um, it's a bold call from Parker. I guess he's got to show some sort of confidence to the media and the players, but he's almost seemed adamant that we can do it which i was i was surprised about i thought it would be more the conciliatory tone by now uh, i would counter that he's, he's been adamant i think i think he has to say he believes i think yeah, he has I to do that i think he has to do that for the players you know there are you know there are players in there playing for their futures as well remember and that's quite big changes you know some of these players have moved on on loan and they maybe have seen a longer term future here and that's a great deal of uncertainty in the current climate. So there are lots of different things to factor in and it's still technically doable. You know, if results go the right way this weekend, then it's a six point gap potentially from, from Monday. And that's not, not enormous, you know, not with Newcastle to play on the last day. So he has to say that. And I, th- I think I can get that, but I, I would say there has been a change in tone. It was definitely, it was noticeable last week um, in his press conference where he sort of talked about 
that it's becoming a little bit more difficult to instill that belief. And I think that's just him being honest. I think whenever he speaks, you can tell that he's very honest and you don't necessarily get, uh, except with team news, um, hmm. um, a, a sort of a, a distorted per, uh, perception of his opinions on things. Um, I think, um, you know, I, he, he talked about that. It's, you know, sometimes a player won't believe him from two games in from the season, but that was not something that he'd sort of talked about before and that's not me to say the players don't believe I think it's natural I think when you get the hits that you get as, as Fulham have from like the the Wolves game the Villa game um, and, and the, the Arsenal game uh, it's going to be very difficult I mean it's hard not to be fatalistic in those circumstances I think everyone can sympathise with that um, but you know naturally that's it's he also will not want to come across as deluded and I think he said that specifically they that didn't want to come across as deluded so that disconnect is is probably there. I think there's a realization coming up. I think he, he he also said that you know in the next couple of weeks he would expect if things didn't improve to to have those talks with the hierarchy about about what's next. He, he did also say that he believes the hierarchy probably are talking about it at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's it's he has to say it, doesn't he? He has to say he believes and and you know he it could vindicate him, but you know I, I don't think anyone can be overly critical for him saying otherwise. No, I, I mean, hear me out, Jack. The next two games for Fulham are obviously Burnley and Southampton. Yeah. Now, it's not a given that Fulham win these two games, given everything that... Yeah, given Fulham seen. haven't really won many games this season. But they're two winnable games, right? You'd look at it in context of this whole season and you'd say, right, Fulham can beat Burnley at Craven Cottage and we definitely can go to St. Mary's and win considering the kind of downward spiral that Southampton have been. And had they not had such a good start to the season, they would be right in the thick of it because they've been terrible lately. Newcastle's next two games... Leicester and Man City. Now, Leicester are not all are not completely qualified for the Champions League, but you know, they're definitely gunning for it and I think we'll still have that motivation also playing for cup final places. Man City are Man City. If it comes to it that Fulham are 3 points from Newcastle with two games left, yes, we'd have to go to United. Yes, they've got Sheffield United. I'm not saying it's doable, but you would have that Geordie fan base flapping, flapping like they were after Brighton, if that was the scenario. And that's what I guess Parker's got to hold on to. Yeah, 100%. And and then what will happen is we'll go to United and, and lose and they'll beat Sheffield United and that'll be that. Um, yes. Like, as in, yes, I completely agree with you. I, I do think it's it's plausible that Fulham are three points off safety with two games to go. I, I think a smile on Jack's face. It's just I, creeped on. <laughs> I, I think I genuinely think that's plausible. The, the, the smile is going to be that we'd get all hopeful again, and then it would just be taken away from us with one game to play, and it'll end up being a dead drop. Look, it's just it just feels like that, doesn't it? That's it feels exactly that would be it. It would be the hope that kills you. I said at the start of the pod. I say again now. Will it will happen? Won't it? It'll, it'll happen. Um, but look, yeah, of course he's got to cling on to that, and and of course that if you do get Newcastle rattled, they were abhorrent at the weekend. They were absolutely awful, and they've been abhorrent in spells through this whole season. Um, the, it's not. This isn't done, dusted, nails in the casket, right? It's just Fulham are lying there, a bit lifeless. Um, if that's that's where I'm at with it, that that's where I've got to, right? It's got to that point that. It's like, yes, it, it would take a miracle for Fulham to be out. Now, miracles happen, right? We've seen them happen before. They've happened before. But at this point, I can't look at that table and be like, yeah, reasonable for Fulham to survive this. Um, and, and I think that you'd have to look at it from a perspective of, look, and, and Peter said it there, it's hard not to be fatalistic, right? When, when you've seen what Fulham have done this year, do you trust Fulham to win the next two games, Sammy? 
No, I don't. No, I don't. That's, so, that, 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 that is that is very much at the heart of it. I'm just saying if this happens and if that happens and if a pig flies across the sky, like it's all going to be yeah, fine. I will support this team until I will support this team until and beyond the nails of being in that coffin. Right? I'll support this team in the championship next last next season. I'll support this team in the Premiership next season if the impossible happens. I will be as happy as anybody if Fulham survive this season. I will honestly. I go to. I'll be over the moon. I just can't see it happening. I've got to speak from a perspective where I'm, I'm looking at it going, this is how I see it. And how I see it is I think that it's just too much. There's, we've left ourselves too much to do. Now, if Fulham pull out the improbable, I will be, you know, absolutely delighted. Like, I'll be out sick with happiness, but I just can't see it. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, right. Well, we're going to take a quick break uh, and then a bit of a gear change because we're going to discuss the Fulham women's team. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, hello. So we want to discuss the Fulham women's team. And this is something that we've wanted to do on the podcast for a while. But we wanted to do it in tandem with Peter releasing a piece about it in The Athletic. That day has come. Uh, it is there in The Athletic to read. And, and the reason we've had to wait a little while, Peter, is because you've been l- trying to hunt down an interview with Steve Jay, who is the manager of the Fulham women's team, but you managed to track him down. He's a very, very, very busy man. Um, if you read the article, you'll understand why he is spinning a lot of plates in his life. So fair play for giving some time t- to chat. Um, and your article kind of pieced together the future of the Fulham women's team, we kind of all know the past. We all know that Fulham were pioneers back in the early noughties. Mohamed El-Fayed made them professional decade before it actually became a professional game. They swept all before them on a, on a domestic front. But nowadays, the, the Fulham women's team is a much more modest operation, but potentially heading slowly towards those heights again. Yeah, slowly, slowly is the key word there. I think Sammy, they they are now on that sort of pathway back, back up the pyramid. And as you say, we do, you know, when you associate Fulham, you associate with the team of the early noughties with with stars like Rachel Yankee and Casey Chapman and uh, Marianne Spacey as well. Um, you know, today it's it's a it's a completely different thing. It's uh, they are in tier five uh, of the women's football pyramid in the London South and East Regional League. Um, you know, they. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that they actually came back into the Fulham fold. You know, they, they only re- reformed in 2014 and that was under the Fulham Foundation and that was to ensure there was a pathway for, for the girls' football that they could go from youth, the youth game into, into, into seniors. Um, and it was, it was good to speak to Steve Jay to get a snapshot of, of where they are. 
and and where they they want to go and as part of that he he sort of talked about how uh the team are and the club are looking at the next phase they've just come out of a three-year plan one that's been hindered quite drastically by the pandemic in that they've had two seasons curtailed now um which is which has you know <laughs> really uh, put the blockers on trying to progress to to get promoted out of the league a really tough league as well as, as, as steve jay talked about um and so they're now thinking, moving on to that next plan and the next stage. And he hints at some excitement coming forward and, and that renewed commitment. But um, you know, it, it, it steps in the right direction. I think you know they have they're very they're based at Motspur Park. They train there. They have games there. And obviously, it's been difficult for fans to come in. But um, you know, I think from their side, they want to, to build that sort of that that recognition. They want to build that progress. They want to move through the leagues at a pace that means they can do the learning. I don't think there is a a desire to to buy their way back into the top level. Um, I think there's pros and cons to that, but they they want to focus on the learning side of of going through those stages, um, and that that's that's the positive side. I think I think personally, I think it's taken a little while to get back to this point. Um, you know, I think Fulham's commitment came in 2018-19, and it's it's good they now have that commitment, um, and and hopefully now they can they can push in the right direction. I'm going to ask the question: Why don't they want to buy their way towards the top? Fulham have got enough money. The Khans have got a lot of money. They surely don't want to be seen as caring less about women's football when they are spending such drastic sums on the men's side. Why isn't there a desire to kind of get back to at least the second tier, the championship of of, of women's football with a view to getting to the to the Super League? I don't, I don't really understand why the Khans would be holding back on it. Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, I think it's, it's it's one when that I did put to Steve J and 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 Steve J says that as I as I mentioned, you know, they want to take the learning with each step on the process. Now, I think he's he's referring to the staff and and the turnover of players and and making sure that when they do grow, that they grow in a sustainable way, rather than you know f- throwing all the money in together and causing the wholesale change now there's a lots of different elements that need to progress i think there's from backroom staff to what they're going to do in terms of their their, their where they play and, and things like that so i think those are, are key key considerations but yeah i mean there's there's definitely a case for that and i mean i guess that's sort of a, a diversion i know we're talking about long-term planning in 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 uh, in the first part of the of the podcast and it, it seems like there is there is that focus here on the second part now you look at it and obviously they're still in tier five they're still a long way from those top two tiers so there is quite a bridge to gap and i, I will be interested interesting to see what the next phase of fulham's plan with the women's team will be when those announcements those announcements come which are actually expected this month or, or next i just felt sort of ironing out the finer details of it and uh, steve jay was very positive about it he's very positive about the direction that they're going in and He's, he's eager for, for there to be growth, not just you know, off the field and on, on the field, but also in terms of uh, supporters and, and getting them involved more too. Well, leads me on to my next question, Jack, which is the supporter element. And mm-hmm. I saw a brilliant video earlier that was shared by the managing director of Bayern Munich's women's team. And it was about how in Colombia, there's been this massive rise in spectators for the women's game. Obviously, the men's game, massively popular. Colombia is a soccer, football-mad nation. Um, but a lot of the leading men's teams used to get huge attendances, whilst the women's team, a bit like in the UK, got paltry attendances. And what they did was they, for a season, all of the teams in the top division agreed to chop their badge in half. So imagine the Fulham crest, but you only saw the 
left 50% of it. And then the men's team wore one 50% and the women's teams wore the other. And this sparks a bit of outrage. What are you doing to our badge? But the whole point was to say that if you support the men's team, you should support the women's team. You can't support half the club. Um, I can't imagine quite a move going down so well in the UK. I can't, (laughs) Um, I I can, I can picture Twitter now. You say that, but you know, why not? Like, are they, are they a less fervent fan bases in Colombia than they are in the UK? I don't think so. I would argue more. Okay. Well, does it make you less of a fan if you don't also go and support the women's team? I've never been to see them live. I, I would like to. It's been difficult. Obviously, they haven't been impossible in the last 18 months, pretty much. Um, does it make you less of a fan if you just support the men's team? I think it's, 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 it's an important question to look at. And, and, impre- and do you support your whole club? And and I suppose it comes down to how you how you look at the club as a whole, right? Do you, would you support the youth teams? You know, do you go and watch them? And it, 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 you know, there, there are lots of different elements to this that I think are important. I, th- I think you should be involved in all aspects of your club. But if you take that to the continent, for example, you know, Barcelona have a basketball team, and a, you know, a, a running team, a cycling team. Like, if you don't support <laughs> them, are you less of a fan of Barcelona than someone that supports all of them? I would say probably yes would be my answer. Like, are you less of a fan of the club as a whole? Yeah, probably. Uh, that, that 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 would be, you know, I think a, a fair statement. If you said, I watch, you know, I go to Fulham, you know, men's home and away. I go to the youth games. I go to the women's games. Uh, I would say, yeah, okay, hands up. You probably support the club more than I do. Like, you know, and, and, and I respect it hugely. And, you know, I respect your commitment to it. And, and I would say that you probably argue that for people that go just to home games and people that go to home and away games, no? Like, it, it, yeah. it's basically a, it's a time and effort commitment that you are increasing by going to watch more of your club. And therefore, if you go to watch more of your club in terms of the the men's and women's teams, I would say, yes, you are more of a fan. I would say if you then go and see the men's teams, the women's teams and the youth teams, you're probably more of a fan again. That I think that's just a, a question of commitment and time. Like, I, I think that's that's where I'm at on that. But I, I, I do agree with you. I think that there's there's so much growth to be had here. And I think that it's it's hard, like without being funny, like unless you live down in the area, Mosman Park is, is, is a tricky place to get to. And you, we've had this at, at times. It's, it's, it's a very, very difficult spot to get to in terms of traffic, especially if you live north of the river, in terms of uh, transport and, and traffic and all of these things to get down there. So I would, I, I, I get, and with Peter in that it's about, uh, where the next stage is revolves about where you're playing and can you can you get games at the cottage can you get you know games nearby to the actual stadium in which case people will travel in can you get double headers going where the ladies play before the men's team and or, or or after it and people would probably be like cool i'll go for a double header of football that sounds great um no, I've spent a fair bit of time with work down at Kings Meadow watching watching Chelsea's ladies team, and the atmosphere is 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 different, but it's incredibly inviting. It's incredibly warm, um, and doing match interviews and stuff, it just feels much more natural. It feels much easier. It feels people are willing to talk to you. It's it's a very different game in in some ways in terms of the atmosphere around it, and and personally, I, I think it's really nice. Um, but I would like to see this growth, and I would like to see more availability and more more things happening to, to open this up because I think it's a huge opportunity for Fulham. Yeah, Steve Jay touched on that as well, actually, about availability. And from a player's side, I think they, they're all very keen 
to do that and to be interactive with supporters and and to build those relationships, which is obviously more is possible when the games are open and you can go and see them and, and things like that. But I think also that there is a an element here of you know let's be fair to to fans because it's not exactly easy to follow the women's team at the moment. Um, yeah. You know that's that's you know that there's not been the coverage for one. Um, there's also the fact that you know that even you take their updates, they they come under the foundation's Twitter account. It's not the main account. Like these these things do sort of matter and i think there is an element of making sure that that's improved and and i think if it's there and if you are able to follow the team more then naturally you will gravitate to your team you'll gravitate to following fulham and want and want them to do well part of that too is of course progressing through the pyramid a little bit more um you know they are in tier five that does make it more more difficult to go to games and, and whatever else and and the planning side of things too so you know that they do work together in tandem in that um and I think it's always important to, to question whether you are, you know, whether you feel like you should be doing it. And I think that's an important discussion to have, definitely. Um, but it's also important that, you know, the, the coverage is there and, it, it, and accessibility too, um, yeah. which is clear that they want, um, you know, from a, from, a, from, a, from a player's and manager perspective anyway. I don't think you can put this all on supporters, right? At, at the end of the day... Blaming anyone it's a, or anything. I would just... <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying. But it's a lot easier to go watch Man City women when they have a dedicated ground right next to the Etihad. It's a lot easier to go watch Chelsea when they have a proper ground that you can go to. And as I say, proper channels with which you want can support them. And I'm sure there are plenty of families that support Fulham. That If Fulham did have an operation like King's Meadow, a proper stadium, even if it's not right next to the original ground that you can go and watch matches, I'm sure several hundred couple of thousands if it was a big game would turn up and support Fulham women and obviously back in the day and I've received a few tweets about this from from other people when I put a tweet up about it used to watch Fulham women back in the noughties like they were a popular team to watch I mean the success helped but the, the, the support from the fan base is there especially with Fulham given that there's a bit of a historic element to it as well with 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 Fulham and the women's team. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's definitely there. I mean, Steve Jay mentioned the game against Dulwich just before the pandemic hit, where you know they managed to get 500 fans in attendance, um, and that's under the the current you know where they are at the moment in terms of pyramid and everything like that. So it's clearly there, and I think when when that becomes more available, and that's why it'd be interesting to see what those sort of next steps are, and and you can see maybe a little bit why they want to do a bit more long term because you need to build those structures in place. But um, when when you do do that, I think that, as you say, Sammy, you know the, there is a heritage there. There is something that you know for Fulham fans, it's it's always been a family club too. And I, I don't think, I think for for some, this may be you know first time they necessarily have been aware about the women's team and, and sort of the steps and progress they're making. So, you know that's that's all part of it. And and I think yeah, going forward, it's it's there. There, there is a there is something to tap into, and and that's that's that, that's a positive thing moving forward. I would say just to add to that, Sam, that part of this is maybe on us, right? This is the first real time that we're we're dedicating airtime and yep. and discussion to this, and we've been going for what three years, you know, four years, four years. It is it, you know that's that, that's maybe something. And, and look, that as we say, like team only reformed at a certain point and, and kicked on, right? And and the timelines haven't exactly matched up. But we've got to a point here where you know we 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 should be looking at this and being like, if we want to increase exposure and if we want. Yeah, we're saying, you know, to, to get people aware of these things and to build it as as something that people can get involved with, then then that's also on us as a you know as a Fulham broadcaster, if you will, um, yeah. to you know to increase that exposure and to talk about it and to give it the the love and respect that it deserves. So I think that's something that that we need to go in and, and focus on as well going into next season. 
hundred percent. I, I was, I was basically took the words out of my mouth basically there, Jack. I, I think that we all, um, if Fulham are to invest in it, I think we need, it works both ways. I think Fulham needs to invest more in it. I think we need to be more ambitious with it as a club. And if that happens, I'm sure all of us as fans and people that run fan channels and stuff like that will reciprocate that back. But we also do need to kind of pull our finger out as, as kind of fan media. And, and I'm, I'm sure um, Fulhamish and other fan outlets will continue to do that. And and great that we've got Peter writing a piece. If you want to read it, as I said, it's over on the athletic app, theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. If you'd like to sign up for the athletic uh, and thank you to Steve for, for giving his time for that interview. It really is a, a great read. I'd thoroughly recommend it. Right. going to take another quick break and then we'll look ahead to Monday's game against Burnley at the cottage. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Peter and Jack. Uh, Check out the YouTube channel uh, for a Burnley preview. I have contacted Happy Place, Happy Place, Turf War, Jordan North, to try and do the preview on the YouTube channel. Um, I spoke to him about it last week and he hasn't replied to my WhatsApp. So watch this space to see if I can get I'm a Celebrity's Jordan North to chat about. That's a humble brag, isn't it? You've just humble bragged that you have Jordan North's number. That's that's what you've just done. That's what I've done, but it, I'm less of a humble brag that he's blue ticked me. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You've been bullied by Jordan North. <laughs> he said he was up for it and now I don't know. So it might just be me on my own on the YouTube channel uh, trying to preview and talk about Burnley. But uh, w- watch this space and subscribe to the YouTube channel to see if I get pied by uh, a bit of a celebrity right um, let's have a look ahead to monday's game then um much rests peter on kind of newcastle's result i feel like um they're playing i believe friday night um against leicester um burnley are also nine points away i'm fully discounting them for, for the relegation chatter because i just think they tend to win games that you don't see coming like four nil at wolves They've not had a very good season, though, by Burnley's standards. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, they are lofty standards, considering what Sean Dyche has built there over the past few years. This one's been a struggle and probably the closest they've come to the trapdoor since their second stint back in the Premier League. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think this is probably a season where you look at Burnley and they need probably a bit more investment. I think that's what Sean Dyche has been railing against for some time. And what he's actually been able to do with his squad has been very, very impressive. And the fact they are able to grind out results, that they are a difficult team to face. Uh, they're very solid defensively. We see that in James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee and Nick Pope. And then up front, and of course, in, in Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes. These are players who probably don't get as much credit as they deserve, but they are goal scorers at this level. Uh, and that's made a massive difference. And, and you know, we, we've talked about it in terms of Newcastle and, and say Southampton with Ings and how important that is. And that's been a difference, a key difference for Fulham. Um, I wouldn't necessarily discount them. I think that, you know, they, as you said, they can, they can pick up results. You know, Liverpool is still fighting for things. Leeds United you know, are always a difficult team to play. Sheffield United, of course, have got such a massive role potentially for, for Fulham anyway in that they play Newcastle and, and Burnley. Um, but yeah, as you say, Sammy, it's all about Friday night, really. And I think that changes the mood. If, if Newcastle gets something off Leicester, then, you know, relegation can happen Monday night. Um, and that, you know, that's, you've got to wait the weekend and, before that battle, but the, if the reverse happens and, and Newcastle do lose, uh, which is more than possible against Leicester, who, as you said earlier, are fighting for for Champions League, um, then maybe it changes the atmosphere a little bit. Um, then again, it's, this is Fulham coming up against Burnley, and last time you know Burnley visited, 
Craven Cottage, it wasn't exactly pretty. It was a, a cold day and a very disappointing 3-0 defeat uh, with much changed squads in, in the FA Cup. So it'd be interesting to see what the atmosphere is actually like and this, the feeling is like. Um, but yeah, this is this Burnley team that have lost to Newcastle, that have lost to Southampton, um, got thumped by Spurs. I mean, it's it depends which team shows up. Um, and it'll be interesting to see not just Burnley, but also Newcastle, how they are in terms of their mentality, whether they are not, you know, the cliche is on the beach, isn't it? But um, whether they are thinking ahead to next season and, and the changes that can come in the summer uh, and whether that affects things. Um, but, you know, for them, they just got to get one more one more set of results and that's that should be enough for Deitch to get something out of his team. I mean, Jack Fulham were very admirable in their performance up at um, Turf Moor. Actually, no, we weren't. We were shit. I mean, Jack Fulham were quite fortunate to get something up at Turf Moor earlier in the season, although did take the lead through Olaena, and it was only really a defensive mistake by Adarabio that that let Burnley back into that game. But Burnley really dominated that one in terms of physicality. Fulham struggled to deal with it. I guess this time, hopefully it's slightly nicer weather, slightly nicer conditions for, for Fulham to actually play some football in, in, in this match. But, you know, we will have a battle on our hands as as every team that faces Burnley does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, this is it. They can, and, and bear in mind, as uh, as Peter says there, Burnley can secure themselves here, right? This win ends the conversation. It means they don't have to worry about the rest of the season. It is very much kind of, we're done and dusted. Thank you very much. So I have absolutely no doubt that they're going to be fully up for this. And and look, I just want to single out Chris Wood, right? Chris Wood has scored 10 plus goals in the four seasons since Burnley have signed him. In three of those four seasons, I would say that's the difference between Burnley staying up and going down. 15 million club record signing. That's what you want, right? That, that what they've done there is identified a player who fitted the system and brought in. And I just think, you know, that puts him in a very, very elite club. I think there's only three other players in that time, and they are Harry Kane, Jamie Vardy, and Mohamed Salah. You know, the only other players that have achieved wow. that feat. So, so you know, just I, I just want to kind of put it out there that Burnley did well there. And what they did was they identified someone that would be good for them. They brought him in, and he's been a huge success. So, it just goes to show a little bit of forward thinking, a little bit of planning and bringing in players who fit your squad, you know, really does, really can make a huge difference. And look, I'm I'm, I'm worried about this game. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm worried about all of the games. It's Fulham. But like, <laughs> it, it, it just feels like the kind of game that Fulham will dominate for 70 minutes and then lose to two headers from corners. Um, and, and I just... I just don't don't want to go through the pain of going one nil up um, and then throwing it away because it, it feels increasingly like that's that's been the case for Fulham this season. And especially if you do get a point from it, then you're like, oh, it's nine points. We need three wins from three. And it's like it gets worse and worse. Right. But it, it does. It does feel a little bit like, you know, this is this is the moment where where Fulham can either go, look, we're here to be counted when we, you know, we, we might still not stay up, but we at least are giving ourselves a fighting chance of being in the conversation or it's the point where Fulham collapse in on themselves. And I do think that either way, that's important kind of either way, you know, whether Fulham stay up or don't. If Fulham stand up now and, and, and are counted and, and fight and, and and make a good account of themselves and win some games and, and the, the you know, there's a little bit of, of, of kind of scrap in the squad, I think that bodes well for next season. I think if Fulham collapse here and finish 19th, 
we're in real trouble next year. And it goes back to all those things we said in the first part of the show, right? About where you where you kind of can drive on and 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 who comes back in. I do think if there is a kind of show of fight here, then there will be something that that we can build on next season. Well, absolutely, because easy to forget, but the season that we did went down last time when we were relegated, we went on this run of three wins. We, we beat Bournemouth, we beat Cardiff, we beat Everton in a run of three wins towards the end of the season. We were relegated th- by that point though. No, we were relegated by that point. It was all, they were irrelevant wins, but I actually think they were massively important for the morale, particularly under Scott Parker, that we thought, okay, we've, one and that, and that Cardiff game, they were fighting for their lives. Bournemouth were a decent team that season, and so were Everton. And it gave Fulham a bit of confidence, I think, going into the championship. I think those wins were quite important. I mean, yes, we actually got thumped on the final day by Newcastle, so maybe the analogy doesn't spring true. But I think you're right, Jack. I think if Fulham do go down but get to 33 points with a couple of wins in the final games, I actually think it does bode well for next year. A little bit of confidence, something for the fans to cheer about, and that meant then we can all go on our merry way and get prepared for Coventry next season. But interesting to see what happens. Uh, Peter, I'm, I'm so, I almost don't want to ask you this question because it feels futile at this point, but any changes for the match? Yeah. Uh, maybe not too many changes. Um, obviously Harrison Reed's injury. He picked up an ankle injury, um, which is why he missed the, the game at Chelsea. And Did we know about this? I, I actually didn't realise he was injured. I assumed he was dropped. Of course we didn't dropped. know about it. Fulham don't release injury I, news. I did tweet it. I did tweet it after the game. But, oh, no, I didn't tweet it. It was the blackout. blackout that's why. I put it on my on the Athletics real-time section. So ah, you, which you, I did see, of course. Yeah, of course you did, Sammy. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so that ankle injury is probably going to keep him out from from Burnley as well, is what Parker said. So uh, um, it'll be interesting. Can't see him therefore featuring, but you never know with with Fulham team news. Um, I can imagine Loftus Cheek uh, may come back in. Um, I, I, you know, we, we, I don't think Anguissa had the best game against Chelsea. I thought, it, to be honest, I thought it was awful. I think he just didn't seem switched on. Um, he hasn't. He just hasn't picked up since since January. Really, I, I, you know, the levels he had at the start of the season, there was a lot of excitement around him, and we've seen sort of glimpses of it since then but he's not been able to get back into yeah, to, to his rhythm so um I can imagine that Loftus comes in I know we've talked about him at length but um you know I, I can see him stepping back into the team but it, it's one of those games where Fulham really do need to to be be front foot I don't think you'll see a back five it has to be a back four and it's got to be a progressive in the way they do that um whether I think Magic that'd be the question whether Magic leads the line and I presume you'll, you'll have one of him or, or, you know, Mitrovic, although that seems unlikely now, but um, making sure that there is someone in the box who can score goals. Um, and I think in fairness to Magic, I think he has scored a few. I mean, if you, you also include the, the the Spurs goal that was ridiculously ruled out, you're looking at four league goals, which isn't, which isn't a bad return for him. So um, yeah, I think definitely doing that. Um, but then, you know, it's, I don't think we're at the stage now where you you start thinking right. We should be playing players for for next season. Not yet. I mean, you know, not when it's still when, not when not there's when still, that still points different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not when there's still that chance. Hundred percent. Yeah, that might come in for the Southampton game if things don't go right 
this this weekend. I agree on Anguisa. I really do thought it was a poor performance against Chelsea. Um, I think that he could have cost us more goals. I think Ariola bailed him out massively um, for, for one of them in the first half and, and just hasn't looked the same player since he was out. I, I don't know if the two are connected. I don't think they are. I, I just think that we haven't seen anywhere near the form and I think you needed an Anguisa on top form this season to, to bail Fulham out and you know certainly that performance we saw in the Leicester game away that's the last time I think we saw Anguisa really on on top kilter um Jack was there anything to add on the on the changes um potentially necessary for this game no I think it is just one of those where you you look at what Fulham I mean I, I hope Bobby Reid plays um it would be my only take um I I, I like Bobby Reid and I like when you know, I like how hard he works, and I think in a game that's going to in- include quite a lot of a physicality battle, um, I just think it is important that that someone with the engine of Bobby Reed is 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 important in the middle there. And look, I I hope we see a I hope we see an Angisa return to form because I do think in this kind of game he could be exceptional. Um, but I agree. I, did, I didn't think he was great against Chelsea either. I don't think he's quite as bad as you've perhaps just said, but I thought he was poor. Um, yeah, and and I just think that maybe maybe that's that's hanging over him at the moment in in a different way. Um, the long COVID and all the elements just haven't seen too much of it, frankly, since since that happened. And and I, I do think there are elements of this that we are probably intangibles that we can't quite foresee. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. As uh, Jack saying on Angisa there, and then also worth mentioning Tom Kearney because you know he's back in training. Um, Parker said Chelsea was too soon, so I'll find out on Friday whether that means uh, he could be available for Burnley, which I think would be a boost. Even I mean, certainly for supporters as well. I mean, in terms of the team having your captain, great back for morale, wouldn't it? And I'm all about great. morale. It's all about morale. <laughs> it's all about morale. But Fulham have lacked that creativity. I don't think there is a player like Tom Kearney in the squad. Um, Ain't nobody like Tom Kearney, as the song says. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so you know, maybe maybe that could be another another wild card option. But I mean, knowing knowing Fulham and considering how long he's been out, I, I couldn't see him starting. But maybe some kind of involvement isn't too far away if if that pain in his knee has subsided and, and stayed away. Yeah, it's those dad jokes that uh, stop me hosting a, a proper football podcast it like is. Ranks FC. It is. Um, yeah, that's, why, that's why I get absolutely nowhere near. And Peter, you were back at the cottage last night. Quick mention for that before we finish. It's looking particularly resplendent, actually, isn't it? It was. First time the new floodlights were working, the temporary ones have gone. Uh, they're very bright. I spent some time looking at them and then couldn't see my screen afterwards um i don't know why i did that really um anyway <laughs> the, <laughs> i mean that's 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 quite a yeah anyway <laughs> but yeah last game of the season for the under 23s last night um they, they won one nil against west brom should have been more sylvester jasper with the goal and colin amogbahin said afterwards that you know he's he's a player who probably needs senior football now and it'll be interesting to see what future holds for him for adrian pagazit he was also excellent he's only 18 uh, really ran things, and I think the team benefited from playing on a on a proper surface. You know, we talked about previously that they're they're playing at LSE now, both the 18s and the 23s, and it's not quite. It's taken a bit of a hit. I mean, it's been fantastic for them, but um, I think that's that's a, a shared opinion, and um, they seem to seem to enjoy it last night. So yeah, it was a good it was a good result and uh, a good way to end the uh, end the season. Okay, well, Peter, you'll be making that short trip again from uh, Wandsworth to the cottage on Monday evening. Fulhamish will be back on Tuesday night uh, reflecting on that Burnley game. Will we be in, still in the Premier League or will we, we be 
firmly nail in the coffin. Uh, we'll find out on Monday and we'll discuss whatever happens on Tuesday. So, Peter Ratson, thank you very much. No, thank you, Sammy. Thank you. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. It was a pleasure. Have a wonderful weekend and come on film on Monday. You wait. Right.